0: Hey any filmmakers, I'm Nick Bodmer. I'm Griffin Hammond, and on this week's episode, we have answers to your burning questions about the new Panasonic GH5S. Plus your questions about daylight balanced bulbs, how to transfer large
1: video files online, and whether you should give your client the raw footage. Hello GH5S. Nick. Don't don't say hi to me. We got to get to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm You're all right. Excited. I think people are going to want to hear the 10 big differences over the uh the camera they came out with last year the gh5 the one i have you Uh, have 10 big differences you made a listicle i did make a list yeah (laughs) in fact if you're if you are already bored of hearing us talk i suppose you could go straight to Film and just read the show notes (laughs) you could already be ahead of me and then you can just stop listening and be done yeah (laughs) no no don't do that we need you but it's funny because panasonic announced this new camera at ces last week uh in your in your town las vegas las
1: vegas yeah it was quite a ces there was a flooding and power outages and all kinds of
0: craziness well yeah they were joking like the power went out at ces and it was like it's a great chance to show off the new low-light camera for panasonic <laughs> <laughs> But uh, unlike last year, we were not at CES this time, but I did get a chance to take a look at this camera early. I was filming some behind-the-scenes for Panasonic with several filmmakers, uh, which we'll talk about. But I suppose we should just get right to what the deal with this camera is.
1: So, Griffin, could you tell me the 10 changes to the Panasonic GH5S?
0: (laughs) Would you perhaps have a list of 10 things you could share with me? I do. But first, I'm going to read this tweet from Carla Walton, who was wondering if we were going to talk about the GH5 on the next podcast. She would love to hear our thoughts on its new sensor, low light capabilities, and no stabilization. Did you know that this one does not have... There's
1: a new sensor. It has low light capabilities, and it doesn't have stabilization.
0: Right. And this was a question... Actually, like the next tweet here is a question that I got from Scott, link who was wondering if I could speculate why Panasonic removed the in-body image stabilization it's a great feature in the GH5 so why would they not put it in the GH5S and I think I suggested to him that it's probably because of the new sensor and I didn't know all the details so I ran it past my friend Matt who works at Panasonic and he told me that they actually it's actually now a multi-aspect sensor
1: I feel like I've heard that before, though. What the GH five is not a multi
0: aspect, right? I think the last time Panasonic had a multi aspect sensor, meaning that, uh, like, some some crop some crops are like uh, wider than others. I don't know why. I'm like envisioning this better than I can explain it. <laughs> um, you know, with the GH five, when you pretty much every mode you shoot in photo video 4k or 1080 they all have the same width on the sensor Uh, but with this new sensor it's multi-aspect because like the c4k mode the really widescreen mode actually uses a wider portion of the sensor uh, which actually changes the crop factor so if if you love getting wide angle shots i suppose the gh5s would be great for you because your existing lenses that you're already using They will look a little bit wider in the C4K mode, it'll actually be a 1.8 crop factor instead of 2. Oh, interesting.
1: So, on the Micro Four Thirds format, there's a little bit of wiggle room in the lenses that we're not necessarily taking advantage of right now.
0: Yeah, so what I learned is that they built in some wiggle room from the beginning when they designed Micro Four Thirds to be a stabilized sensor. To have some room for the sensor to stabilize. Uh Uh-huh, okay, yeah. But with the GH5S, they wanted to go in and make it like a low-light beast. So one of the ways they did that is by making the sensor a little bit bigger. Just, you know, if it's a little bit bigger, it can capture more light. So, but the problem is if they had added in-body image stabilization, one, I don't know if it would even fit with the sensor that they were making, but it definitely would have caused vignetting.
1: Yeah, you would see as the sensor moved, you'd lose edges.
0: Right. <laughs> so uh, probably a good so that idea that they didn't include it, yeah. So
1: just thinking through that, that means, if I'm understanding this correctly, though, that lens stabilization should still work just fine if your lens is stabilized. It's just exactly. the sensor stabilization that it doesn't have.
0: Yeah, so if you're mad that IBIS, in-body image stabilization, is gone, you still have it in all your native Panasonic lenses. Well, many of them And you
1: know. Have. I also think, don't you think um, handheld stabilizers like electronic stabilizers are way more common than they were even just a year or two ago? And maybe having it built into the body is a little less important for the types of pros who are going to put this on a big rig that's already stabilized?
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think Panasonic said we're trying to make this for... I mean, it's clearly a more filmmaker-centric camera than the GH5. I love the GH5, and it's a really great filmmaking tool and... Photography tool. Uh, we'll talk about some one photography feature they added to the GH5S. But generally, it's a camera that's focused on filmmakers, and they figure a lot of filmmakers, especially you know, I filmed with with uh, Jacob Schwartz in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And if you watch the behind the scenes I shot, he's never using it handheld. He's always using it on a dolly or a gimbal or a crane or something. So, yeah, you can do stabilization outside the camera.
1: So does this make it a camera maybe less suited for the type of work you do since you are such
0: a run-and-gun
1: handheld type shooter?
0: Arguably, yeah. I mean, I think when they added in-body image stabilization with the GH5, I kind of thought, do I even really need this? Because I was fine with GH4 and my lenses have... You know, I was buying lenses that have stabilization built in. But now that I compare the difference between my footage, I do like that I have it. So I'm not... Eager to jump onto the GH5s and lose um, lose stabilization, but I do have a gimbal. It might so be I, nice I, to have one body in
1: your bag, though, for those times when you are locked down and you find yourself working with limited light.
0: Yeah, well, and I think the way you said it is 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 right. These cameras are complementary to each other, so you could imagine someone having both. I saw some anger on the like GH5 user forum on Facebook. Mm -hmm. it seemed like people were either mad i mean i think people are always mad when like a new camera comes out because they feel like it makes their old camera less good which (laughs) we all need to like stop feeling that way like we have amazing cameras let's not have too much gear lust. but i was uh, using the
1: gh2 until very recently (laughs) yeah
0: but two i think people need to understand that this is not this is not the gh6 it's not the upgrade of the GH5, it does lose some features. It's a different camera. It's an alternative it's variant. Model. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, so there will be reasons to, to shoot with this. And actually, we haven't even gotten to the primary reasons you would use this camera yet, um, which is the, the low-light capability. I guess uh, next on the list, real quick, just because I mentioned photography, is that they this new sensor actually is only a 10-megapixel sensor unlike the 20 megapixel so you do lose a significant amount of size for your photos but they did add 14 bit color for raw so they've increased the dynamic range of raw files oh okay yeah and this really is like a dynamic range camera that's the reason to have this thing so they added two more stops of dynamic range the gh5 is about 12 stops and the new camera is 14 stops And I'm looking now at a tweet we got from Jane Rollins who uh, is saying that in-body image stabilization is not a deal breaker for her.
1: Yeah, I think it just depends on the type of shooting you're doing and, you know, what your rig looks like. I I just know there's so many people out there who are always on some sort of stabilizer. They have to turn off in-body image stabilization anyway because don't they kind of fight each other? Do you have, like, a gimbal and in-body
0: image stabilization? Can't they kind of mess each other up they can although i've been impressed that it doesn't it doesn't screw up as much as i would expect it to so i actually usually have my stabilization on when i'm on a gimbal oh okay i think for me the more likely thing is when i'm doing like a really slow pan on a tripod and you get to the end of the pan and the camera's like oh and you get what a am i supposed wobble. to do now yeah so that's rubber banding it off we got a tweet from james
1: Tedro. Could you explain what dual native ISO means?
0: So that is the real big thing about this camera. And I thought it was so it funny that... It sounds
1: very fancy. Maybe we yeah. should leave it more of a mystery.
0: <laughs> Let's not even tell people We don't want to ruin, ruin the
1: excitement by telling people what it is. I well, mean, of course I know, but why don't you pretend like I don't know? Since <laughs> it sounds confusing.
0: <laughs> well, I thought it was funny that, like, the I knew about this camera before it came out, uh, but i was seeing all the rumors about it uh and i thought it was funny that people knew it was going to be a low light camera but no luckily i guess for panasonic no one leaked the fact that it was dual native iso which i was kind of excited like i can't wait for people to find this out because that seems like it's the real the real reason to get this thing but it it has dual native iso meaning if you look at like the gh5 its native iso is 200 although when you shoot in vlog its native iso is 400 which means at 400, you're going to get like optimal noise and dynamic range. The GH5S is optimal at 400 and also at 2,500. I don't understand exactly the science, but it's like they make two circuits or something. Uh- <laughs> that's, a, that's well, all that's i, I need was gonna to say
1: because when we turn up the iso in general it's like turning up a, I, mean, I think of it like audio where you're turning up the gain you know exactly you're turning which up is gain. going to increase the volume but it's going to take noise up along with it whereas right. if it has dual native iso maybe it's some dedicated circuitry it switches between that has isn't just cranking the gain but it's just a whole circuit dedicated to running a higher which is
0: very interesting i really wonder how they pulled that off Yeah, that's exactly right. It eliminates the gains. You're starting at like a zero gain with each of those ISOs, which means that effectively when you shoot 12,800 ISO on the new camera, you're effectively getting the same noise performance as 1,600 on the GH5. And how many times brighter is that? How much more light? Let's see, 1,600 to 3,200 to 6,400 to... So it's eight times brighter. Wow. It's three stops. That's massive. Yeah. Well, and I would never imagine doing 12,800 on the on the GH5. Usually 1,600 is about where I stop. And I yeah. can go up to 32 or 64 if I really need to. But usually I know those are going to be kind of But you're making noisy. a sacrifice at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't even know... I don't know if you'd ever want to use the extended ISO all the way up to the top. But it sounds like the new range it runs all the way up to two hundred and four thousand ISO. Jeez. What is that <laughs> like candlelight level I guess filming?
1: <laughs> I wonder if this will be interesting for like astrophotographers and stuff. It, because now are we getting to the point where people are saying it has better low light than like the A 7s S and, and the Sony cameras?
0: Yeah, so like engadget Gadget put out a review and they said quote, even at twelve thousand eight hundred ISO the image held saturation and contrast in a way that handily bested Sony's low-light champ, the A7S II. Wow. I think it was That's clear that this is what Panasonic was trying to do when they came out with a super low-light camera. I think they were definitely going after Sony. Bum, bum,
1: bum. I've still never <laughs> shot with a Sony camera. I would really like to.
0: I was about to say that I would like to as well, but maybe I maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I have such a good relationship with Panasonic.
1: <laughs> then they'll, they're going to kick you out of the family. Uh, we got another tweet from Helder Mira. Did you shoot the behind the scenes with the GH5S? Wondering your thoughts on the camera. And uh, Helder also says great piece, by the way. So nice work oh, on that. thank you.
0: Uh, no, I didn't shoot with the GH5S. It, it was kind of like last year when the GH5 came out. I remember they gave me two bodies to shoot with but there weren't a lot of bodies to go around like Luke Newman got a couple I got a couple that was about it for a while uh, and the same with GH5S there weren't many models to go around so I actually shot the behind the scenes on my GH5 but so one of the differences between our projects if you watch my behind the scenes films there's three of them they're all shot in 4K I used 60 frames per second so I have some slow-mo and, um, and but it's it's all produced in 30p but the ones shot on the gh5s they took advantage of the extra dynamic range and they actually mastered them in hdr Hmm. so if you have an hdr tv or monitor they are on youtube in hdr so my behind the scenes is not it's sdr standard dynamic range but uh the finished films that these filmmakers made uh, are all in hdr which looks pretty incredible
1: so I have a 4K HDR TV. I wonder if I use the built-in YouTube app, if I can get full HDR off of YouTube. I would think I could.
0: Yeah, you would expect so. Unless the you app I'll to give that a whirl. Yeah. We also got a tweet from Francisco Gonzalez wondering how this might compare to Panasonic's Pro camera, their cinema camera, the EVA1. And the price tag is very different. We haven't even talked about the price on the GH5S. It's 2499 So GH5S is $500 more than the GH5. GH5. But the EVA1 is like 7000 something? 7345 7, on B&H right now, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a completely different... I mean, it's a cinema camera. It has XLR inputs. It has ND filters built in. Um, it's a Super 35 size sensor. It uses an EF mount, so it's Canon glass on the camera it's a different camera but people were excited about the eva1 has dual native iso its native isos happen to be oh so is this a brand new camera
1: too did it just come out or
0: has yeah it, been it came out, out in the last year okay yeah um so i think people are comparing the gh5s to it because of the dual native iso but still they're very different cameras i mean similar feature set but different market really yep Speaking of HDR, um, we should answer this question real quick. This was a YouTube comment we got from Marcel Patio, who shoots on the GH5, and he's curious about that feature that's on the GH5, hybrid log gamma, HLG, Mm -hmm. which actually I can't even remember if it was on the camera originally, if it was only on it in version 2.0 firmware. But he's wondering if to future-proof projects... He should go ahead and be shooting everything in HLG right now. Now, do you have to be shooting in V-Log to get hybrid log gamma? I guess I don't even know. So it's good that you mentioned V-Log because they are two different picture profiles on the camera. You can do HLG or you can do V-Log. And my understanding of HLG is that it actually doesn't shoot as much dynamic range as V-Log. It's actually a little bit more crushed. But... The idea of HLG is that you're capturing high dynamic range in the camera. And it's putting in the metadata and everything in the file. And this is a file that will be ready to play on your HDR TV. So your raw footage could be ready to go for an Mm -hmm. HDR TV. But if you're going to do color correction and, and actually edit the piece and master it for HDR... If you have all that the, that whole skill set, it would make sense to actually shoot it in V-Log instead. Okay. So I don't think this HLG is kind of be the best more, way to future-proof. It's almost
1: like easy mode for HDR. Exactly, um, yeah. And I, I think Hybrid Log Gamma is a format where the SDR and HDR signal are kind of in the same file, right? So it'll play fine on a standard so. Def TV and an HDR TV. Right. Do I have that
0: right? I'm, I'm not saying that as a fact. I'm, I guess I'm... No, I th- I'm th- think you are right. So. Yeah. Okay. So I think vlog like would be right. the best way to future-proof your stuff. You know, if that's what your raw footage should be in. Um, but if your goal is just to, like, get it really quickly onto your HDR TV and, and enjoy the experience right away without any editing, HLG would be a better way to shoot. What else does this GH5S have? All right, so... I already talked about the last thing, which is uh, price. So really, there's only three things left that are different. Um, this camera, the GH5S, includes V-Log, which oh, it's, a, not it's an extra
1: add-on on the on the GH5, right? Right. What is it? It's like a ninety-nine dollar, oh, uh, only one hundred dollar okay. upgrade. Yeah.
0: So when you're looking at the price tag, this camera is five hundred dollars more. I suppose that includes a one hundred dollar um, V-Log upgrade nice Uh, and you don't have to install it it's it's on the camera when you get it they also added a feature that i have no use for but there are many people in fact some of the filmmakers i talked to were excited about this uh it has a time code they've they've turned the flash port into a time code port for like syncing time code between cameras that's probably really nice for people who have a
1: lot of different cameras and recording devices they need to sync up easily
0: yeah so apparently it's like it's still the same physical flash port. They've just changed the hardware inside the camera, and they are giving you a adapter cable that turns it from that flash port into a BNC adapter. So you can plug it in.
1: And there's one feature you haven't said yet that I am most excited about.
0: You're excited about the cosmetic red detailing? That's it, baby. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well this was i mean it was fun to shoot behind the scenes because i was happy to see that there were three cosmetic differences on the camera i mean the camera the body is exactly the same between the gh5s and gh5 except for the the new sensor really but they made the record button red the video record button on top they added a red ring around the drive mode dial slow down baby and the logo They've added a little red S under the GH5. It's extremely exciting. It was funny because I I didn't include these in the the behind-the-scenes videos, but I asked everyone that I I interviewed who was using the GH5S, I think I asked them, like, so how excited are you about that red record button? (laughs) (laughs) So it's not just me.
1: You were excited, too.
0: Yeah. Well, and I also asked everyone... Another thing I didn't include in the pieces uh, was I asked everyone if they knew why it was called the GH5S. Like what the S is means. is for speed. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good guess. I, I think it's for... Actually, I think it's actually sensitivity. sensitivity. Like low light sensitivity. That's it's what, a what very I was going to say camera. next.
1: I just thought like... Apple speed's a great that, You know, you got like the, the iPhone 6S and S just means like better
0: oh yeah well yeah I think when I was interviewing Luke I think he said like super (laughs) (laughs) which is that could be true too who knows well did I I think we answered all the GH5S questions we got this week did I answer all of your GH5S questions No. so do you have one right now (laughs) I don't no wow you know what's funny though I guess
1: not they should when, send me one, and then you won't have one, and I will, and that'd be awesome.
0: That w- that would be awesome. <laughs> you know it's what's funny? Speaking of the of the red detailing, I loved watching the rumor sites in the weeks before Panasonic announced it because you know who was spotted with one of these. I don't. Popular YouTuber Casey Neistat. mm Hmm. Hmm.
1: And people could he, tell because the, the different styling on the
0: camera. Yeah, it was funny. I loved it that they could tell because, like, I think he was, like, in a helicopter or something. And he had posted, like, a selfie of himself hanging out the helicopter. But if you, like, zoom in, you could see that, like, hanging around his neck is this camera that looks just like a GH5 but happens to have a red ring around around the drive mode dial. People
1: are impressive. So they didn't even see the GH5. They didn't see the S. They just saw the red ring.
0: Yeah, I think the S was obscured, I'm not even sure how people, maybe that was leaked early on what this camera was going to look like and people just knew what they were looking for. Well, I guess we should get to some questions in just a moment. We're going to be answering your questions about daylight balanced bulbs, how to transfer large video files online, and whether you should give your client the raw footage.
1: Handy Filmmakers is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a domain, website, or online store, make it with Squarespace. You
0: know, a lot of people ask me about what platform to use for for podcasting. And when we started this show, I was looking around at the pricing for everything. I mean, there's plenty of services that are just podcasting, but I actually needed a website as well. So in the end, Squarespace turned out to be the smartest way for me to have a website for myself, GriffinHammond.com, and also use it as a place to... I'm essentially just using the blogging platform that's built in as a way to publish RSS and podcast. So, yeah. like like always, you should go to Hey.Film to read our show notes for this week. This week, you'll find the three videos that I've been talking about that I shot for Panasonic. Um, also, that top... Not even top ten list, just the ten things that are different about the gh5s head to
1: squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch go to squarespace.com griffin to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain thank you squarespace
0: nick i really love this first question that we have today okay. i think you're gonna I like, like it yet. a
1: lot okay <laughs> so and i just glanced at it now i'm excited <laughs>
0: i think this is maybe the best question we've ever gotten on the show uh, this is a tweet from mark vaughn who i think we've actually played a video from him before he's a he's a doctor um he so did mark a vaughn... the vocal
1: we had a vocal question that he helped yes. with right
0: yeah yeah i remember that so mark vaughn md is planning an original web series which takes place in a doctor's office good use of resources you have and He would like to integrate West Wing-like walks through the halls and rooms. Would you recommend switching out my entire office to daylight-balanced bulbs? All right,
1: so first thing we got to get to, the term for this is a walk and talk. Walk and
0: talk, yes.
1: Yes, and uh, I think, you know, so Aaron Sorkin is known as the, you know, the West Wing guy. He's the original creator, but I think the walk and talk really comes from Tommy Schlamy who is executive producer and one of the directors of, um, I think he directed the the pilot and a lot of the kind of the key episodes. And I think it's kind huh. of a Tommy Schlamme creation, that Walk & Talk. Um, yeah. And some of those Walk & Talks got extremely uh, long and uh, complicated. So it's, it's I, I love the West Wing Weekly podcast, and they talk about those
0: quite a bit. So For a Walk & Talk, I imagine you would not need in-body image stabilization because you're using a cam. That's right. And this question is great because we are both big fans of West Wing and Aaron Sorkin. God, I love that show. Ah, I do love that show. But and also Daylight Bulbs, what do you think? I kind of did this in my office uh, when I lived in Bloomington, Illinois. I was shooting so many indie mogul videos in my office that I just went ahead and changed all the bulbs in that room to Daylight Bulbs, like Mark was talking about. They were all... CFLs I think they were 5500 Kelvin which I felt like was a pretty nice kind of close to, to, to most sunlight um, color temperatures that were coming through my windows I loved it but I'll tell you what my my wife Amy hated it <laughs> it was something she always hated about my office because you can imagine all the bulbs in the in our home are like 3200 kelvin and only in this room are these like really blue white lights and they were pretty bright too so, so you walk
1: into your room and it felt like like a sterile laboratory or something
0: yeah um i imagine if like you said mark if you do it to your entire office maybe it won't be too big of a deal i also just know that the bulbs i chose were also brighter so i don't know i guess you want to find something that i'll let lets you continue to do your work comfortably. But.
1: but the problem we're trying to solve here is if you're shooting during the day and you have a lot of sunlight streaming in, then your bulbs are a little yellow. You're going to have kind of this off-color temperature. Is that kind of yeah. the, the, the issue?
0: Yeah. And, in fact, uh, there's a, a story similar to this. Um, Alex Buono, who shoots a lot of the pieces for Saturday Night Live, when he shot The Office... Hobbit mashup do you remember this vaguely they, yeah they did like a lord of the rings thing in in like the nbc show the office kind of thing and so they shot it in an office and i think they encountered the problem where every every fluorescent bulb they had was like a different color like some of them were like green and you know you can imagine like <laughs> a real office so i think they just came in and rather than like they were shooting everywhere so they couldn't even just bring in lights i think they just replaced every one of the bulbs in the in the office to make them all match so, so yeah, there's one good, way to go yeah, it's a good argument for doing it you may just be asked by everyone who you work with to change them back <laughs> here's an email that we got from Catherine who says that she's been editing on a 27 inch iMac for a while and sadly the display panel died so I guess it's oh, no. still a working computer but she can't see it Uh, so she's wondering about external monitors uh, what she should look for what to avoid she knows that you briefly mentioned how gaming monitors aren't necessarily great editing monitors so what advice do you have for her
1: yeah so there's a there's a bunch of different display technologies uh out there um Uh, You'll hear IPS, uh, and I don't remember what it stands for, but that's that's an LCD display technology that's very color accurate. The displays in the iMac are IPS displays, and they're really high quality. Um, Gaming monitors uh, tend to be... um, tn or va uh, just different technology less accurate colors but faster refresh rate so when you're doing gaming at 144 frames per second you need something that can that can keep up um you know it's hard to beat the displays that come in the imax uh apple does not currently make any displays though i think uh we'll be seeing a standalone 5k display from them in the next year or so as the uh, as the mac pro comes out yeah um the 27 iMac, if it's a relatively recent one in the last three or four years, was a 5K display, and there's really no way to get a 27-inch 5K display externally yet. Um, it, there's just not, the, the the connectivity like no technology is not there yet. Um, hmm. So I, I mean, I would probably... I'm sure it's expensive if it's out of warranty, but I would probably look to getting the iMac display fixed. Otherwise, Apple is pushing... I forget what brand Apple is pushing, but they've got one on their website that's a 4K display that they kind of recommend right now. Let me see if I can find it real quick.
0: So you're saying like the display on a new iMac is like plugged right into the motherboard or something. Like it has a faster connection you just can't replicate that through You can't replicate that with an external display. You'd have to go down to 4K. Um, That might be changing here
1: as some new display technologies come out, but like I think Thunderbolt 2 and USB 3 are not fast enough to push a 5K Mm. display. Yeah, um, it's something like that. So yeah, um, I can't accessories. Here it so is. Let's see. Yeah, LG UltraFine. Oh, it is a 5K display. So maybe I'm full of full of crap. They do push an uh, <laughs> LG UltraFine 5K display, which is a 27-inch IPS P3 wide color gamut. That's um, you know, the the color profile. Is that what it's called, Griffin? It's we called the color gamut. A yeah, color gamut. And it connects over Thunderbolt 3. So you would need uh, Thunderbolt 3. Maybe Thunderbolt 2 is what I was thinking of that couldn't do uh, 5K. So if you've got Thunderbolt 3, if your iMac iMac, is old enough, it may only have Thunderbolt 2. And this display is also $1,300. So it might make more sense to get that bad boy repaired or pick up the brand new iMac Pro, which looks amazing. I think you should get an iMac Pro, Griffin.
0: No, we've talked about it. it's too expensive for me. <laughs> no, it's not. I'll chip in. No, cool.
1: A very small amount.
0: <laughs> Here's an and email now email. have lost it's... our
1: show notes. Yeah, good. I'm glad you're
0: on it, because I don't know yeah. where we are anymore. <laughs> we got an email from Joshua, who is near the end of editing a short film, but he shot the thing in anamorphic, and he's still trying to figure out exactly... How to get that perfect two point three five to one aspect ratio instead of, or I guess he did shoot it in sixteen by nine, but he wants to he wants to crop it. So he's seen people add a PNG, just add black bars, a PNG image file uh, to get that crop, and he's wondering if that's the best way to go, or if he should change his sequence settings. What would you? Yes, you should. Do. I
1: would. I mean, it's. I'm not quite sure how you do it outside of Final Cut, but I would be creating a project or a sequence with the exact um, dimensions that I want my final project to be, and that's going to make it really easy to um, crop or move the frame around uh, for the exact framing I
0: want. Would not you think yeah. so? Yeah, I think that makes the most sense because all these platforms now. I think even YouTube and definitely Vimeo, they can support some of these weirder or widescreen frame. Um, resolutions so there's no need to add the black bars when you could just upload a native widescreen video and it'll be respected so yeah i would get your sequence settings right and i i was looking because i actually don't know exactly what resolution you would want and it kind of depends on how you shot it uh one resolution that i came upon that that seems like a good fit is if you shot in 4k let's say you shot in 16 by 9 4k then you're your image size might be 3840 by 2160 and yep. i've seen a lot of people using the resolution of 5120 by 2160 so it's the same vertical resolution as 4k and then it's just wide enough to be i think it actually is exactly 2.37 to 1 and you see well, a lot of times you see people talking about anamorphic widescreen. Me. yeah like why isn't it 2.35 you mean well, go ahead.
1: Keep talking while I g- gather my thoughts. My brain is melting with this math.
0: Well, you see a lot of people using for anamorphic either two point three five to one or two point three nine to one, and I've I've bet in the past that most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And I'm noticing a lot of the resolutions that are popular do seem to fall in the two point three seven, like they're right in between. And I think it's because that number's kind of weird. I think the more, another number that people use is instead of 16 by nine, this is 21 by nine. I think 21 divided by nine is, oh wait, maybe I have that number wrong. That's only 2.33. I don't know. It's close. What is what is the
1: resolution of a standard 16 by 9 4K? Can you say that again?
0: 3840 by 2160 is, is, um... UHD, ultra high def. So
1: let me ask this: if you were, <laughs> if you have sixteen by nine, so if you shot something in thirty-eight forty by twenty-one sixty, you would need to reduce the vertical resolution, not expand the horizontal, right?
0: Right. So yeah, wouldn't so maybe you want to you...
1: do thirty-eight forty by something smaller? Yeah, that would be another way to go.
0: Uh, the reason and I that throw way out you're this... not
1: blowing up pixels or something like that.
0: Yeah, the the reason I threw out a larger, um, uh, a larger one is I didn't know if he was definitely cropping sixteen by nine or if he had shot it in sixteen by nine but with an anamorphic lens. Oh, uh, okay. So my feeling okay, is so if you do need have twenty one sixty, yeah, then you probably want to maintain those vertical pixels. But yeah, either either option would be good. Okay. But if he he was
1: not shooting with anamorphic lenses and he doesn't have a squeeze, it probably makes more sense to crop in as opposed to blow out the the resolution, right? Right, yeah. That's a
0: technical term, blow out the resolution. (laughs) Everybody's with me on that, right? (laughs) But then, like, another weird way to go about this is you... We're all... This whole time we're talking about square pixels. Mm -hmm. You could also have anamorphic pixels. Your pixels could be, instead of being perfectly one by one squares each pixel could actually be four by three so now if you take a 16 a by bit. nine number of pixels but make them all four by three pixels then you'd get a, a resolution like the one on how do you address the pixel ratio it doesn't even make sense you can remember we used to do that with uh, standard definition video i don't remember that so standard definition was it was always 720 by 480 Mm -hmm. But it's funny whenever you see, like, a a screen grab of standard definition video on the Internet. A lot of times it's stretched wider than it should be because television pixels, like standard definition pixels on a TV, are not square. They're 0.9 ratio. They're actually, like, a little bit taller than they are wide. I don't remember this at all. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, so... Standard definition video was a seven twenty by four eighty resolution, but it was effectively six forty by four eighty. So you'd almost anytime you did like a screen grab from standard, you would have to like squeeze it in Photoshop before you put it on the internet. Otherwise it would look wrong. And actually Things I still notice this today. Remember. A lot of times when I see people mixing standard definition video and HD video, the telltale sign is not only is the resolution pretty low but it's like wait this person looks fatter in that shot and they look normal in this shot. <laughs> so yeah crazy. you can always you can always mess around with pixel shapes <laughs> and uh i think you, you may be able to do that in, in premiere and in final cut Just change you change have blown to, like, anamorphic mind, mind. <laughs> which kind of makes sense to think about it that way because you if you're shooting with an anamorphic lens you're squeezing things onto uh, a 16 by nine frame or a four by three frame. And it feels kind of weird to like make extra pixels. So it kind of makes sense in a way to just like make, take the pixels you already have and make them wider. On but if you're
1: playing it one-to-one there's, you can't stretch a pixel on a monitor. So now you can't yeah. get a perfect yeah, pixel perfect representation of your video. I don't like it,
0: but you never could cons- cause you shot it weird. You know, you shot it with a anamorphic lens on oh, just square pixels. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> there's always going to be some weird de-squeezing and stretching and all that happening. So
1: I guess there's a few different ways to do it. You've blown my mind too much. I'm moving on. We've got a YouTube comment from TJ Basinger. How do you and Nick transfer your videos for each podcast? I'm looking for the best way to transfer large video files remotely. He's tried wetransfer.com plus transfer.com and Google Drive, but wonders if we have any other
0: suggestions. know how do we he, do it? He's put like... He put two gigabytes next to WeTransfer, five gigabytes next to PlusTransfer. Are those the limits? That would be
1: my guess, is those are the free limits. Maybe you have to pay to, yeah. to go beyond beyond those file sizes. Yeah, we, we sling some large files back and forth, don't we?
0: Yeah, I think sometimes you're sending me like eight gigs or something just for one episode. One podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, the way we do it is through a piece of software called Resilio Sync. So we're not using mm-hmm. a cloud-based service uh, this these files are just coming straight from Nick's computer right to my computer through a through a torrent software yep, do Resilio that right? Sync they have a free version
1: uh, that doesn't have all the features but for what we do the free version is perfect and you can transfer as much as you want my computer has to be on while Griffin is downloading and it. it's not like it's up in the cloud where he can download whenever he wants but after we finish the podcast, I copy all the files to my computer. I create a Resilio sync folder and send a little link to Griffin and he clicks on it and his Resilio sync connects to my computer and shht, yeah. away it goes. Actually, it doesn't and go very fast because your internet is slow. But
0: Right. Well, that's kind of the frustrating thing is it feels like it's going so slowly because we're the only two participants, I guess. But you figure we both save time. Well, you save time on your end because you don't actually have to upload it anywhere it's right. just i'm immediately pulling it from you yeah
1: i mean if um, you're gonna are you gonna have to edit this podcast tonight you are aren't you so that yeah would really normally stink. we record this podcast like, upload.
0: <laughs> normally we record this like like maybe a couple days be? early yeah like a day and a half before it publishes uh tonight we're doing it late so i'm actually going to have to edit it immediately <laughs> so that it's available early <laughs> in the morning <laughs> okay. i like to make your friend's life a little a little more difficult <laughs> So let's hope Resilio Sync moves quickly this evening. <laughs> All
1: right, we've got an email from Thomas. He says, like most freelancers, I get stuck on how much to charge for my work. I've started to learn how much I won't work for, which is helpful, but picking out an hourly rate is not easy. Should you somehow incorporate your equipment cost into your rate? Did you increase your rate when you upgraded to better equipment?
0: So I've never thought about my equipment as part of my... Cost. I've never like made that calculation and said, "Well, I spent two thousand dollars on a camera, so I need to get some of that money back in my hourly rate." You've never, you've never thought about your equipment that way, have you?
1: I mean, no. I always think of it as just an expense that I incur, so I try and be smart about
0: it. And I don't think I've ever made a purchase and then immediately upgraded my rate. But I think I'm, I'm constantly trying to get equipment that keeps up with my abilities, and I'm always trying to grow and get some new equipment to learn from so I think it's just been a natural progression that by the time I upgrade my rate from $100 an hour to 150 or from 150 to $200 it's recognize, recog- i am recognizing that I am better but also yeah I guess I do have more stuff now that's kind of why my videos are better because I'm bringing better mics and lights and all that stuff
1: in conclusion you can probably charge more than you think
0: Yeah, (laughs) but I think having an hourly rate is just a good exercise and just kind of asking yourself what amount of money would it take to get you out the door and to start figuring out for bigger projects, you know, before you tell someone, well, this is a $20,000 project. Like, hopefully you have some sense of how many hours it's actually going to take. And does it, does it make sense to charge that much? We've
1: got a youtube comment from oh boy that's another one that's gonna mess me up i guess it's kisiel
0: with a three instead of an e. I, I think i pronounced it as kisi 3l last time but kisi 3l from poland from poland <laughs> hey
1: griffin and nick happy new year still listening to the podcast while editing which just blows my mind but hey i'm glad it's working for you do you ever give your raw footage to a client after finishing the
0: final product or is it always a no I want to say it's always a no, but I know I've broken that rule. Like, that should be a rule, I think, is don't give clients raw footage. What do you think? So, yeah, I mean, I've run into this a
1: few times with wedding videos. Um, in general, if I've already been paid and I've already completed my edit and they're happy with it and then they ask for raw footage, I will generally say yes. And usually they have a specific reason, maybe I've been asked because, you know, a family member has passed away and they just want to look through it all and see if they have any clips of that person or something. And I'm always going to say yes in that situation. I think it's dangerous to give a client the raw footage before the project is done, before they've signed off on the final edit, before you've been paid. Because uh, then they can kind of really uh, try and wrestle creative control from you. Right. If there's a good reason and I've been paid and the project is done, in general, I will say yes, you may have it. Um, I I usually say you have to bring me a portable hard drive or a flash drive that's big enough. You know, I'm not going to um, burn it all to DVDs or do anything crazy like that, but I will give it up in um, the few times I've been asked as long as I've been paid
0: is the oh, big yeah. one. Well, and one of my hesitations is, and I've, I've learned from this now, so now if someone asks me for raw footage, I recognize that there are going to be some expenses and some time cost. Like, I do need to find a hard drive, so usually, yeah, I have them buy a hard drive for me, um, and, or maybe I'll mark up the price of a hard drive a little bit um, to kind of incorporate my time, and I'll go buy the hard drive to mail them, but I realize... Just to give someone my raw footage is going to require me some time of organizing the footage in a way that's going to make sense to them. Like, I mean, on my projects now, and especially a wedding can be kind of complicated, it's like I'm going to have A cam and B cam and C cam, and there's audio that's maybe not even connected to the video. So how are you even going to watch the video without the audio? So maybe I need to actually like sync some audio and export it again, or at least just need to put things in folders so you can manage all this stuff. They just get well, however I organize my raw footage is how
1: they get it, <laughs> and yeah. they can deal with it. Yeah, mine usually come out pretty clean. I have separate folders for every SD card, and I have separate folders yeah. for every audio recorder. Just that's just the way I organize my
0: footage. So, yeah. But one one problem I've had is I gave a wedding client raw footage because like a lot of wedding clients, she thought she wanted it. Um, I think a lot of people think they want it, but. Right. When they watch your product, they probably realize, and then watch the raw footage, they probably realize, oh, he already did the job of culling this down and made it into something that's worth watching. But I realized with one client, I'm not even sure if I was shooting 4K yet. This was years ago. But still, the 1080 files, I think they were 60 frames per second, in H.264, they were too processor-intensive for her computer to play back. Oh, yeah yeah that can be a problem so it's kind of like what what good is it to have all this footage when you can't watch it get a new on computer your may i
1: recommend the imac pro mr hammond <laughs> i think you'll really get some good value out of that yeah your render times could be cut in half if not faster <laughs> how does that make you feel
0: well maybe i should do it
1: <laughs> you're a cheapskate <laughs> We've got an email from Reed, who says he's listened to a couple dozen episodes over the holidays. That sounds
0: like too many episodes to listen to. I think he no I think he recently discovered us, so then he just he just, binge just plowed listened. through them? Yeah. I mean, aren't we pretty boring? I
1: just can't imagine that. Thank a you. A couple all for dozen, listening. that's like I don't that's understand. That's like half our episodes.
0: Griffin, what's his question? The question from Reed is he's hoping we can clarify why everyone is so enamored with sixty frames per second, do people shoot sixty for slow mo, and then put it on twenty-four or thirty p timeline, and then do you use the same sixty p frame rate for interviews? So, what do you think? Yeah, I think
1: that's it's it's slow mo, right?
0: Yeah, that's the that's main reason. I think
1: why eighty percent
0: of the people shoot sixty frames per second. Oh, and you know what? I feel like I missed. <laughs> going back to the beginning of our episode i feel like i missed one of the features of the gh5s it wasn't Is on that, your list no it was but somehow i didn't read it it's <laughs> that they added great Podcaster, right guys <laughs> they added 60 frames per second recording in c4k the gh5 can do C- 60 frames per second but only in uhd in that 3840 resolution but uh on the G5S, they've added in the slightly wider screen cinema 4K. It can also do 30 frames and 60 frames. And I imagine for slow motion. Yep. Um, so on my projects recently that I was shooting for Panasonic, I shot everything in 60, not because I wanted to deliver in 60, but because I wanted to deliver in 30. And I thought... You know, I don't want to rely on slow motion as a, as a crutch, but this was a project in particular where I didn't know if I was going to be spending a lot of time with each subject. I was worried that I might get there and not have a lot to shoot. So I thought I should at least be shooting everything in 60 so that if I'm in a bind, I have double the footage that I think that I do. Everything could be slow motion. And it could take up some more time on the timeline. Um, luckily, I don't even think I relied on it too much, but it's kind of fun to, to have that ability. So you shoot um, everything at one one hundred twentieth shutter speed, then? Yeah, because I'm just I'm, I have it set to one hundred and eighty um, degrees of shutter. Right. So when I'm in sixty, yeah, it's choosing a one. 1 of a second let me ask a dumb question so say you're shooting everything in 60p
1: because you might want some slow motion but then you go to an interview shot and you know this is not going to be slow motion because it's just an interview shot would it ever make sense just to adjust the shutter speed at that point since you know you're
0: going to drop frames to um one over 60 as opposed to one over 120 yeah that would actually make a lot of sense although i go ahead and i just switch it into 30 when i'm in an in interview Okay, so you do jump back and forth as
1: yeah, you shoot. Yeah,
0: because I think um, at least in the modes that I'm shooting in, it's a different bit rate. So I am taking up more space on the cards when I'm shooting uh, 60p. Got it. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I get more time. And that that's mainly my, my main concern when I'm doing documentary stuff is if I'm about to shoot a 20-minute interview, I might as well not have it take a take up as much space on the cards and who needs to edit through you know it's just more data for the computer to deal with yep but i occasionally forget to do that and then i just end up with an interview in 60 and that's not a big deal i mean interview subjects don't move around that much so i don't even know if you most people would notice i bought a new toy what did you buy
1: i bought the elgato hd60s
0: I don't know what that is.
1: This is an HDMI capture box for capturing HDMI footage right into a computer. So now if I want to start streaming some video games, I can stream with my good
0: camera hooked up. What do you think of that? Oh, so wait, I assumed you only wanted it to stream the game from the gaming system, but you actually want to plug a camera into it as well? well yeah you couldn't do either so I'm a PC gamer right so I'm just
1: going to capture the oh. video straight from my PC and then I'm going to use this to bring in high quality
0: camera video yeah when but you told me you were I getting also, this I assumed you it was for like putting your PS4 into your computer which is but an no. option as well yeah. um, my
1: kids want to make Minecraft videos so oh. we're going to be able to do that with this as well it's kind of exciting they do that on the PS4 or on the computer They do, they do that on the PS4 yeah Cool. Um, but, fun fact, the G85 does not have a
0: full-sized HDMI output. Did you know this? Well, I figured, yeah, I probably didn't, because I think the GH5 has it, a full size HDMI, and that was new for
1: that model. So, yeah, I got this, and I went to go use it, and I was like, oh, it's it's got that um, mini HDMI. I was like, that's okay. I have one of those cables. I have a mini HDMI and HDMI cable. And I get that out, and the mini HDMI cable is too big to fit in the thing. I guess it's like a micro HDMI. Oh, yeah.
0: Which I didn't even know existed. Yep, there's two different kinds. So,
1: actually, this just came today. High-speed micro HDMI to HDMI cable. I was about to
0: say, like, I have a bunch of those sitting around that I don't need anymore because now I have a camera with (laughs) full-size HDMI. But... Amazon can always send you stuff faster than I could. Yeah, and for cheaper, probably. I think it was like $6 <laughs> shipped. So
1: uh, I'll be playing with that.
0: It's going to be exciting. Yeah. When can we expect our your first video gaming video? TBD. <laughs> well, you Not know what? I will... I will share with people next week uh i promised it this week i told people last on our last episode that we would be talking about underwater stuff this time you lied but then the gh5s came out and we had to talk about that mm-hmm. so uh next week we'll talk about underwater photography and video and nick and i shot some stuff together i remember <laughs> also i should mention that uh about a week from today if i guess next week i'm leaving for dubai and i'll also be in abu dhabi this is a state department trip i'm going on Mm -hmm. so i don't know my full itinerary yet but my understanding is i'll be speaking at some universities and high schools and i'm not sure yet if any of these will be public events but if you are in the uae if you're in the united arab emirates salam and uh drop me an email at griffin at hey.film film, and let me know if you want to meet up or if you want to come to an event, and I'll I'll see I'll keep you in the loop. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, thanks everybody. We'll talk yeah. to you later. Bye. Hope you
1: don't mind I dropped in that little micro HDMI tidbit.
0: Nice job.
1: It's really tiny. It almost looks like a micro USB.